Hi, you're now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. We're happy to bring you sermons like this one every week. You can find other sermons at our site at harvest-community.org. So without further ado, here's our speaker. Good morning. Yeah, uh, it's great to be here. And uh, I just wanted to start by saying uh, thank you, Harvest, on behalf of Renee and I, uh, for allowing us to be part of this church. Um, we are receiving so much in terms of training and support, and uh, you all, through your uh, uh, contributions to the church, are allowing uh, me to go to seminary and study to be a pastor, and, and just the relationships that we're having with people here and in our community groups. It's just been awesome. So we just wanted to say thank you uh, for that. Um, I feel like we were like orphans out on the street, and then we were graciously brought in uh, into this church. And so we're just so thankful for that. Uh, just an update on our lives. <clears throat> As uh, uh, Pastor Dave said, uh, I am, uh, I've been a teacher in the Chicago Public Schools for uh, five years now. Uh, my wife, Renee, uh, we've been married for five years and uh, she was a teacher at Maine East High School. And then once we had our first son, Micah, uh, she uh, quit teaching and she became a full-time homemaker. And so she's at home with Micah right now, who's two years old. And we have another son, um, Ethan, and he's two and a half months old. So um, Renee, uh, in addition to the insane task of trying to just be a mom and manage our house, she's also taken a part-time job uh, where she works from home as well. So... Um, that's a little bit about our family. Uh, like I said, I, I work as a teacher. Uh, I'm also going to Columbia International University. It's in South Carolina. And so I take all my classes online. Um, and I've been doing that. And I will have another five years before I'm done because I'm going part-time. But I guarantee when I'm done, I will be the happiest MDiv graduate ever. Uh, recently, Renee suggested that maybe I want to go study for my doctorate. And I uh, I said no. Um, <clears throat> I, I serve here as well on the praise team and just leading uh, our, our praise team and uh, in, in the ministry to the church. Um, as far as prayer requests, uh, as you see us, we are just kind of maxed out in terms of what we can do and what we can handle. So please just pray for Renee and I, our marriage. We just need grace and strength uh, in our marriage to just keep going. Um, you know, it's easy to be too strangers in a house when things just get so busy and we need protection against that and we want our marriage to grow and be strong uh, and be great and be what it, what god wanted it to be um, please also pray that um, we get uh, just clarity in ministry uh, right now we're not sure like once i get this mdiv degree what we're going to do with that so just pray for clarity and uh, lastly just pray that we're faithful uh, in doing what god wants us to do and um, we have a penchant for taking on more than we can handle. And so pray that we would just do what God wants us to do. So. Renee, are you in the room? Just come up and, and receive prayer from the church along with Bobby. And you don't need to worry about the future. I've already got your future planned out for you. So just, uh, you know, one of those prayer requests. <clears throat> And as Renee is making her way up here, um, I'm going to ask you to bow with me as a church. And let's really love and pray for this couple together. Okay? 
Let's pray together. Father, we're so grateful for Bobby and Renee and what they've brought to our church family. We thank you for the genuine way in which they wear their faith. Thank you for their servant's heart, sometimes which even leads them to do more than they ought to. But we thank you, God, that they're setting an example of people who say yes quickly and readily to you. And we thank you, Lord God, for their smiles and for their, their joy and their genuine friendship for many of us. We pray, God, uh, such a, a prayer of thanksgiving that you have led them to this church where they can find this, this ability, this um, opportunity to train for ministry. We see so much potential in them. And we pray, Lord God, that you would allow this family to be protected from all the tricks of the enemy who loves sinking good works before they really get off the ground. We pray that this family will be guarded by you so that they would complete this journey in their lifetimes, which you've carved out for them. Father, guard their marriage, for they are really at their, the maximum of what they can do. We pray, Lord, that you would raise up wonderful people around them who would help to share the burdens that they carry. We pray, Lord God, that you would strengthen them inwardly for parenting and for this marriage, leading them on a regular basis to make time for one another, to be gracious and generous and kind to each other. And we pray, Lord, as they make their efforts, you would add to it, Lord, that special work you do when you open up people's hearts and allow us to become less selfish and less inward. And we pray, Lord God, that as they continue carrying so much load, that in much of it they would find not only drain and depletion, but they would find energizing and joy and encouragement. Help them to remember on a daily basis why they have said yes to you and why they are doing what they're doing. And we pray for their, their two little ones that you would allow them to continue growing up whole and healthy and safe. Guard their bodies and their spirits and their minds. Protect them from anything that would do harm to them, Lord. And we pray at a very early age you would reveal yourself to them as a savior of their souls and allow this family to rejoice as their boys come to Jesus Christ as their savior. And we ask, Lord, continually for direction, Lord. We don't know what the future holds, but we know that they love you very dearly and that there's so many things that they can do. We pray as a family that you will guide them with great clarity and humility every step of the way. Day by day, month by month, year by year, they would complete this journey on the path you've laid out for them. And now, Lord, as Bobby takes the pulpit, we pray that you would dispel all sense of nervousness, any self-awareness that is unhealthy, and instead, Lord, let the word be opened up to him and through him then to us. As we listen, Lord, do a great work in our hearts. Help us to hear and receive the good news of the gospel this morning. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right, good morning again. Uh, If you would, take your Bibles and open it up to Galatians chapter 5. So grab your Bible, open it up to Galatians chapter 5. Don't wait for the PowerPoint to show up on the, uh, on, up here on the screen. Take a look at Galatians chapter 5. The title for today's message is called Standing Firm. And before we get into reading the actual passage itself, uh, in lieu of like a typical introduction where I offer a quick anecdote or a funny story, I'm just going to give you a little bit of background about the book of Galatians. And as I was preparing this message, I was thinking, God, there have been some great, 
great men who have preached through the book of Galatians. And the book of Galatians has belonged to some great heroes of the faith like Martin Luther and, and, and Spurgeon. And they've preached much more faithfully and capably than I could ever, ever hope to do. But I am confident that it's not my words that have power, but it is the Holy Spirit that will energize today's sermon. So, again, in lieu of an introduction, let me give you some background. Uh, the, the book of Galatians was written by Paul. And he was writing to a church uh, in Galatia. And it was actually one of the first epistles ever written. Uh, scholars think that it was written in AD 49, which dates it even before a lot of the uh, epistles. And even though in your Bible it's not like the first thing, it actually was written as one of the first uh, epistles. So what's happening here? Well, here's the question that the people in Galatia are struggling with. How does men? How do men get justified with God? How do men become right with God, especially now that Jesus has come on the scene? That's what they were struggling with there. And in the church in Galatia, there was basically two people, okay? There were the Judaizers. And we'll just pretend Hans and Susie are the Judaizers, okay? And they're the Judaizers, and PD uh, will be the Gentiles, okay? So, We've got the Judaizers over here and the Gentiles right here. Now, what do they believe? Well, here are the Judaizers. They're walking around. They love Judaizing. And they, they came from Jerusalem. These guys, they were Jewish like scholars. But the thing is, they heard about Jesus and they believed in Jesus. So these guys were pretty, pretty good, right? They, they got things right. They, in fact, they said they came from James, the brother of Jesus. Could, you know, the Judaizers, yeah, yeah, Judaizers came from James, the brother of Jesus. And so they came with a message. We believe in Jesus. But they had a little problem. Mm, Judaizers. They said that faith alone in Jesus wasn't enough. You know, these were Jewish scholars and they used to follow the Jewish law. They were earnest in their devotion to Jesus and the law, but this was their formula for getting saved. Their formula for getting saved was Jesus plus the law. That was their formula for getting saved. Now, again, I'm a school teacher and I love involving people, so we're going to have some involvement right here. So when I say, what do the Judaizers believe? You're all supposed to say Jesus plus the law. So what did these guys believe? Excellent. Wow. For a predominantly Asian congregation, there was a lot of oomph into that statement. And don't worry, I'm Asian too. Yes, India is part of Asia. <laughs> you all got it so wrong. Well, you can understand their point of view, right? You know, they've been living with the traditions of their elders for hundreds of years. Their forefathers, who are giants in the faith, they believed in the law. And now Jesus comes along and they're like, well, we've got this old stuff. And so we're just going to say Jesus plus the law. On the other hand, you've got the Gentiles. The Gentiles were non-Jews who lived in that area at the time. They heard about Jesus. They believed in Jesus and they put their faith in Jesus. Now the Gentiles, this is what they believe. Their, their formula for salvation is faith in Jesus alone. What did the Gentiles believe again? Right, but what about the Judaizers? God plus what? Come 
on, Judaizer. Jesus plus the law, faith in Jesus alone. Well, they were part of the same church, and there was a, a little bit of a, a problem there. The Judaizer's problem was the Gentiles. Now, the Gentiles, they didn't know the law. They didn't follow the traditions of the elders. They didn't know about all that God had given to Moses. And so they had a problem with the Gentiles. Their solution for the Gentiles was this. All right, right, Gentiles. Okay, we understand. You guys don't have the whole law. You don't have everything that we know. So we'll make a deal with you guys. We can be a part of the same church. But just do this one thing. Be identified with us. And now the Gentiles... They're like, sure, we'll be identified with you. We're part of the same church. We can do that. And then they told them how they want to be identified. And that's when there was like a... The way that they wanted to be identified was the Judaizer said, just get circumcised. Now, to us in this modern day, we're like, whoa, uh, let's not be a part of that church. But for the Judaizers, that was a very reasonable request. That was a a covenant right that God had given to Moses and to Abraham. That was a sign of being identified as God's people. So the Judaizers, to them, they're compromising. Hey, Gentiles, just be uh, um, circumcised, and we can be part of the same church, and then you don't have to obey the rest of the law. We'll just kind of push that aside. They thought it was reasonable. They didn't. Now, that's where Paul comes in. Paul stepped in because these believers are confused. Wait, how exactly are you saved? Are you saved by faith alone or is it by following the law? Here's Paul's formula. Justified by faith. That's Paul's formula. Let's run through that again. Judaizers? Oh, you scared me for a second. Jesus plus the law. Gentiles? Faith in Jesus alone. And Paul, justified by faith. So say that again. Paul? So Paul steps in and Paul goes on to say, if you believe in Jesus plus anything, it is no gospel at all. It's not just semantics to Paul. Paul doesn't think, well, you know what? At least the Judaizers, they believe in Jesus. At least they're, you know, following Jesus and they believe that he was the Messiah. They're not deceived. But Paul says, no, no, no. You know what? If you add to anything that Jesus has done, it is a false gospel. And if you look through the book of Galatians, Paul used some of his strongest language. He says stuff like, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? He he says some of the stuff that we're going to read today where he says, I wish you would just go the whole way and emasculate yourself. That's some pretty strong language because he believed in it so strongly. As you can imagine, the Judaizers here, uh, they weren't happy about Paul's message. So they discredited Paul. Who's this guy, Paul? He wasn't with Jesus. How How can we be sure of his authority? So Galatians, the book, goes back and forth between these two themes. Paul's defense of his ministry against the Judaizers and what they're saying, and then justification by faith. That's the book of Galatians. Paul's defense of his ministry and justification by faith. Now, all that to say this, why do we care? 
here in suburban Illinois, why do we care about why some Jews were confused or some Gentiles were confused and were thinking about circumcision? Well, here's my uh, proposition to you. Unless we stand firm moment by moment in being justified by faith, we will ruin the joy, love, and motivation to follow Jesus. I'll say that again. Unless you and I stand firm moment by moment, every single moment in being justified by faith, we will ruin the joy, motivation, love, and desire to follow Jesus Christ. So the question I'm going to ask you today and that we're going to ask ourselves all the whole sermon, am I standing firm? I'm going to ask you that, so why don't we just try it out? Am I standing firm? Go ahead. Am I standing? You've got to ask yourself that after every point. What are you going to ask yourself? Right. Am I standing firm? Because if you are not standing firm, you will lose your joy, motivation, and desire to follow Jesus Christ. Well, here's my assumption. A lot of you are thinking, do I believe that we're justified by faith? Of course. But here's my uh, uh, daring presumption, is that right now, many of us in this room are not consistently standing firm. And I will boldly say that, that right now, many of us are not consistently standing firm, and you've lost that motivation to follow Jesus. You've lost that desire to follow Jesus, that joy. Well, some of us are not standing firm because like these Judaizers, you're still trying to prove yourself to God through religious behavior. You're trying to impress God with how you act. You think God loves you more because you don't sin certain weeks and you uh, refrain from sin. You think God loves you more because you do a lot of things in the church. You believe in justification by faith, but you act like karma is the law of the land. Some of you are not standing firm, and it's evidenced by your lifestyle. You're, you know, you're doing all the right things. You're doing your quiet times consistently. Maybe you're coming to church weekly. Maybe you're serving at the church. Maybe you're learning more about God, but you have no love and passion for the man and the person of Jesus Christ. In fact, following Jesus has turned into this kind of mindless, joyless uh, subculture of just being nice and avoiding certain activities. It's all about image. It's all about the right thing, but your heart's not in it at all. You need to stand firm in justification by faith. Maybe for you, the busyness of suburban life has consumed you. It takes all your energy just to get the kids up and get dressed and get ready for work and then go to work and do a good job there and be uh, carry on your relationships, let alone following Jesus. And you think back to your glory days about when you did and you think, well, that's just how life is now. But I'm telling you today, you need to stand firm in justification by faith. And another reason we need to stand firm because day to day, the lost world around us is wondering, how do I get right with God? Many people have been asking this for years and years. In, in fact, this is why religion was created. How do I get right with God? This is the essence of spirituality today. Today, So your coworkers are asking, your friends are asking, your neighbors are asking, your family is asking, how do I get right with God? And you need to know that it is justification by faith. Again, unless we stand for a moment by moment in being justified by faith, 
will ruin the joy, motivation, and desire to follow Jesus. Today, again, the message is standing firm. That was a long intro, but here are our three points. Stand firm. You've got to know the command. Stand firm. See the consequences. And stand firm. Ask yourself constantly. Ready to go? Come on now. You ready to go? All right. Let's look into our, our passage. Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Let's just read it. I'll just read it aloud, and you can read along in your Bible or on the screen. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view than mine, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brother, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Amen. Let's go into the first point. Stand firm. Know the command. Look at uh, verse 1. If I could have that back up on the screen. It says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not submit to a yoke of slavery. It says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Well, freedom from what? Well, Jesus has set us free from the fear of death or the uh, the, uh, fear of sin or the fear of anything. But this freedom is the freedom from doing good works to have relationship with God. Can I have you do an exercise real quick? If you have a Bible with you, would you just take your Bible? Oh, I don't have mine with me. But take your Bible and open it up. Start with Genesis. Put your thumb right at Genesis. And then go all the way up to Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. End at Deuteronomy right there. And grab that little, that portion right there. That is the Old Testament, where they got the law. That is, in, within those pages that you have there, there are hundreds of laws that Jews had to keep so they could have relationship with God. Well, you know what? Grab that little thing, that little chunk in your pages in your hand. Jesus Christ has set us free from the obligation to obey every single one of those laws. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that we shouldn't do good works. Good works must be an overflow of our relationship with Jesus. But you know what? Back in those days, you had to do those things so you had relationship with God. And Jesus Christ, could we put uh, verse 1 back up? Has set us free from that. And so it says, stand firm, therefore. This is an imperative command. I love the English language. I love saying words like imperative and declarative statements. Uh, This is an imperative command. You are supposed to not stand firm. Jesus is telling you, stand firm. The picture here is great. Hans, could you come up here real quick? 
The picture is one of, of a person who is standing firm. All right, bro, you got to just stand firm. Like, come on, man. <laughs> not the hunchback of Notre Dame. Stand like the hunchback of Notre Dame and do not be yoked. No, just like stand firm like, like that. Yeah, that is the image Paul, you know, it's not a constipated image either. But Paul is painting an image. I'm sorry, bro, I'm just ripping on you the whole time. Uh, Paul is painting this image, stand firm, so that when somebody comes by and says, circumcision, it's not moving. When somebody comes by and says, get baptized to have a relationship with Jesus, he's not moving. When somebody gets, comes by and says, you need to speak in tongues to have a relationship with Jesus, he's standing firm. He is not submitting himself, thanks, I need you again later, to a yoke of slavery. Here's the command, and this is what you got to know. Stand firm against justifying yourself by works. I put it into kind of a rhythm so, so you can remember it. Stand firm against justifying yourself by works. Okay, you laugh now. You laugh now, but every woman who is in Emrock knows this. For the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord builds a city, the watchmen stand awake at night. Renee has these verses from Amrock where you have to memorize it according to song. And I listened to that and I was like, this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. But I still remember the verse. So again, you got to remember my ghetto song. Stand firm against justifying yourself by works. Sing it with me. Stand firm against justifying yourself by works. You are going to drive in your car today, and you're going to be beating on that wheel thinking, stand firm do, do, against justifying do, do, yourself do, do, by works. And you know what? That might be so stupid, and I feel so stupid saying that to you, but that is the command of Jesus Christ. Why is this command so important? Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30. Come to me, all you who are weak and heavy laden or burden, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, you might have heard that verse before and you thought Jesus is telling me to just like relax or have a good time. I remember I was in college in a psychology class and a, a professor told me that verse, uh, Jesus is advocating yoga because he's saying his yoke, he was saying you can replace yoke with yoga. His yoga is easy and his burden is light. But you know what? Yeah, I, I, I had the same response. But you know what? The context of this is when all the Pharisees are telling the disciples, you guys got to obey this, you guys got to obey this, you guys got to obey this. And then Jesus comes and says, come, all you who are weary, you're feeling a load on your back from all this religion. I'm accessible. I'm not far. I have a yoke. I have things I'm going to ask of you, but my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Because when you love me, As you see my love for you, it'll be easy. And so again, Jesus through the Holy Spirit. In Matthew, he says it once. In Galatians, he says it again. 
It's that important to the Lord that we do what? Let's sing our song. Stand firm against justifying yourself by works. I see some people keeping rhythm. Amen. It is that serious to Jesus Christ that we stand firm. Yeah, you might not think about it that very much, but when Jesus was on the cross and he said, it is finished, all of that, the law, it was finished. We didn't have to obey that anymore because he took it upon himself. Now, there might be a group of people in here who've been confused whether faith in Jesus is enough. Maybe some people told you that you need to be baptized to be saved. Maybe some people told you that you had to speak in tongues to be saved. But I am telling you right now, through the Word, that you are justified by faith in Jesus Christ alone. Amen? Now, the majority of you, maybe you're like me. It's not that you believe any of those things, but it's other, my mind is my own worst enemy. I have a hard time believing that I'm justified by faith. You know what happens for me Sunday mornings? I wake up Sunday mornings, and then the fact that I have to lead praise is right in front of me. And I just feel all this pressure. Like, I I feel like sometimes I feel like I have to, you know, like perform. Or like, I feel like this pressure to be on with Jesus. And like, maybe those of you who have served ever felt that pressure before, where you just feel like, You look back at your whole week and you're like, oh man, I sinned really bad on Monday. Oh, Tuesday was pretty good. Uh, Wednesday, oh my goodness. Thursday, oh geez. Friday, yeah, it was pretty good Friday. And then Saturday, how am I going to stand up here in front of these people and lead prayer? Maybe you've had that kind of feeling before. I struggle with that. And it just goes to show that I'm not standing firm by faith. I'm not standing firm in just in not justifying myself by works. You know, what's your mentality Sunday morning? On a morning like this, what keeps you from church? What keeps you from fellowship with other Christians? You know, sometimes you just feel so guilty you don't want to see anyone or deal with anything Christ-related. Maybe you can relate to uh, when I was a uh, non-believer my senior year of college, I remember coming home from parties and just doing stuff. And I remember I had a Bible on my desk and I would look at that Bible and I'd be like, I am so sinful. I could not, I can't even pick that thing up. And some of you who are Christ followers feel the same way still. I'm too guilty to pray to Jesus right now. You know, I'm going to put off praying or talking to the Lord because you know what? I really suck. That is so unbiblical. Some of you are just have a hard time even coming into the presence of God. You feel like you have to have a certain number of quiet times for God to be happy with you. You feel like you're, you're just a failure before the Lord. And you feel like God loves you because of what you've done. Listen to this story. Uh, It's from this book, Victorious Praying. This is the best book on prayer I have ever read. Uh, Well, listen to this story. A pastor told me about a personal experience that has been a great help when I feel inadequate and unworthy of God's blessing as I pray. 
He said that after a very difficult day, he was trying to pray before he went to bed. As he sought God amidst the discouragement of this difficult day, he thought to himself, would you have any problem praying if you led someone to Christ today and had a great time studying the scripture? He reflected on this thought and responded to himself, no, I wouldn't have a problem praying, but this is not the kind of day I had. I've had an awful day that has been characterized by many wrong responses. During this time of seeking God and reading the scriptures, God gave him a loving rebuke. As he reflected on praying in Christ's name, Christ was saying to him, do you want to come to me in your name or in Jesus' name? Only when we learn to pray in Jesus' name can we use our times of feeling unworthy and inadequate and turn them into confident intercession. we got to do this. Stand firm against justifying yourself by works. Come on now, I'm not singing a solo. Stand firm against justifying yourself by works. The moment that you think that you haven't done your quiet time, or the moment you think you haven't prayed enough, or the moment you think you are too sinful to pray to God, you better confess and repent. God warned us of that twice. Let's go on to our second point. To get to, again, what's the question we're asking today? Am I standing firm? Can you say that again? Am I standing firm? Are you standing firm? Now you know the command. What is it? Stand firm against justifying yourself by works. Let's go to the second point. Stand firm. See the consequences. Let's go on to verse 2. 2 through 4. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept, accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. If you are not standing firm, the first consequence is that Jesus will be of no value to you. When Paul says Christ will be of no advantage to you, it means he's not going to be of value to you. His person will be of no value to you. You won't think that having a relationship with Jesus is really worth it. His work on the cross will be of no value to you if you insist on trying to prove yourself before God. Are you standing firm? Is Christ still of value to you? When was the last time you were so acutely aware of your own inability to overcome your sin and your absolute need for Jesus Christ? When was the last time you were brought to this point where you said like Isaiah, Woe is me! I am a man of unclean lips! And I live among a people of unclean lips. When was the last time you really believed that? Do you believe that today? You know, God brought me to this passage a few, uh, probably now about a month ago, when Christ had become no value to me. I was just so focused on doing my quiet times. And I was so focused on doing the right behaviors. And I was so focused on just living the right way that Jesus was of no value to me. Maybe you've thought like this before, and this is how I was thinking about a month ago. I was thinking to myself, you know what? For the most part, I've got my act pretty much together. It's just a couple areas that I need to just kind of clean up. How many of you have ever thought that? 
for the most part, yeah, I've got my stuff together. It's just a few areas that I uh, need to clean up. I was not standing firm. I was not. Absolutely not. I didn't see that I'm a wretched sinner whose sin had offended a holy God who has no hope of overcoming sin apart from Jesus. I learned what God was telling me. Value Jesus. Because otherwise, He will be of no value to me. Now, uh, a couple days ago, I met up with my brother-in-law and he had just went to this conference. Um, it was all about, excuse me. It was all about being a good husband. And he was just sharing with me all the things that he learned at this conference. You know, it was saying like, the, the, the speaker gave great principles. You know, um, spend uh, every day, spend some time facing your wife and talking to her about um, stuff besides the kids and the finances. Another principle he said was, encourage your wife in front of people. Uh, another thing he said was, encourage your wife in front of your kids. And you know, the, my immediate thought was, man, I can't wait to take these principles and just do them. Do you ever get that way? Like you're, you're listening to a sermon and you're just like, you get excited because you just can't wait to do that and just solve it. And I realized immediately, God rebuked me right then. He's like, I taught you this a couple weeks ago. Christ is not going to be of, of advantage to you if you think you can fix yourself up. And right then, I had to sit there and just pray, Lord, I confess that I have so offended you as a husband to Renee. Lord, my attitude and my actions and, and the things that I sometimes bring into our marriage, they have not only hurt her and offended her, but they have offended you, a holy God. Lord, have mercy on me. And it was at that moment that the love and the grace and the mercy of Jesus filled my heart up that I was motivated again. Not to say that I shouldn't have done those principles, but now I can do those principles because I am forgiven because the one I have offended the most has forgiven me. Make sure when you're listening to sermons that are all about principles, that you realize that you have violated those principles against the holy God. And you need the love and the mercy of Jesus to forgive you and give you the empowerment to do those things. First consequence is that Jesus will be of no advantage to you. Second consequence is in uh, 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 verse 3. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. If you and I insist on living by our works, we will have Jesus be of no advantage to us and we are obligated to keep the whole law. Hey, this is not a suggestion. If you want to have a relationship with God based on your works, then you will be required to obey every single one of the laws. Some scholars say, you know, I don't know how many there were. There were hundreds of laws, and you have to keep each one to a T if you want to have relationship with God. If this is the way that you want to live, that's what Paul's saying. He's kind of saying, you know what? You're obligated to obey the whole law. It's impossible to keep it. I mentioned to you that uh, I teach sixth grade, and in our sixth grade social studies, we get to study every religion. And so it's phenomenal. You know, we study Islam, we study Christianity, we study Judaism, we, we study everything. 
And so one day, uh, I had a journal that I wanted the kids to answer. How do you get to heaven? And I, they wrote down their responses. I'll, I'll read some of them to you. How do you get to heaven? By this student. person gets into heaven by not doing bad things, by believing in God, by not doing things bad to their family, by listening to their parents. You have to be nice. Uh, another student, a person gets into heaven when you do good things, when you accept God, when you believe in God, when you love God, when you trust God, when you confess your sins, and when you do more good things than bad things. You have to believe in God. You have to pray to God. Also, you have to do good things. You cannot do or say bad things. Lastly, get baptized. Oh, I have some amazing baptism stories for my students. I had to tell you that another time. I believe that if you really want to go with God, you go with Him. But in order to do that, you have to respect Him. You should not curse. You should not do bad stuff like kill and steal. You have to believe in Him. Now, you know the funny thing is? We all kind of laugh or snicker. But you know what? The amazing thing is that the theology of most people is set by sixth grade. And some of us still believe that today. These things that we think we're so smart and we think we're so intelligent, we, we know all this stuff, but our theology hasn't changed very much. And that's what it says right here. You know, these kids, I, I pray for them. My, my heart breaks for my students because they don't realize that in order to have a relationship with God, they are required to keep the whole law. Now listen, you don't get to God because of what you deem will get you to God. Okay? Thousands of years ago, God in His mercy disclosed how you could have relationship with Him. He wrote it in His law. The prevailing mentality today, you know, among spiritualists and people who follow, uh, you know, uh, Eckhart Tolme's new books and things like that is, I know what I need to do to have relationship with God. Well, who decided you and what you say is going to be acceptable to God? The God of the Bible, the only God, the only God of the universe has said, in order to have relationship with me, you must keep the whole law or put your faith in Jesus Christ, my son. We must believe that we are justified by faith. Otherwise, we're obligated to keep the whole law. Consequence number three is in verse four. If you look at that, you are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. If you and I still believe that our good works get us something before God, not only will Christ be of no advantage to us, not only will, are we obligated to obey the whole law, but we are severed from Christ. The image here is total separation. Uh, imagine if these two things were together, just joined together. The image here is you're just totally separated from it. There's, there's nothing that's attaching you to it anymore. And the thing is, if you and I live that we're justified by our works, we are separated, cut off from Jesus. We have fallen away from grace. Grace is the only thing that we have in our corner 
when we're in the ring with the holy God. And he gives us that grace. This is a sober and serious warning for anyone who would want to get to God by works. Are you standing firm? The moment you look at your quiet time, how much you've sinned, how many missions trips you've been on, how much money you've given, you have cut yourself off from grace. Be warned. But there's good news. The good news is in verse 5. Look at verse 5. There's those three consequences, but for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly await for the hope of righteousness. Is this not what every single human on this planet is looking for? The hope of righteousness. Every single person from the, the beggar to the millionaire is wanting to be right because they know something doesn't match up. And we have it through the Spirit of God given to us by faith. That is good, good news. So Paul, you know, in his loving way, he says, listen, I told you that you got to stand firm. I gave you the command. I gave you some consequences here. Let me tell you really quickly, though. Do you want to know how you can uh, um, do something that's good in God's eyes? Look at verse 6. Paul says, you know what? If you really want to do something of value to God, in Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Faith, an internal belief, our internal belief, it must overflow out into loving acts and loving deeds. Do you realize how much of yours and mine Christian life is done in mindless autopilot? We tithe, but it's not because of the faith that expresses itself in giving that money back to the Lord. We serve the church, but it's not because of this faith that's overflowing into, God, I just want to serve you. We do our quiet times, but when was the last time you thought, man, Jesus, I am so grateful for the gift of eternal life. I just want to spend time with you. That faith that you've given me, it's working itself out in, in, in a loving relationship with you. Remember, it says in Hebrews, without faith, it is impossible to please God. You got to today have a living and active faith. You know what that's hard to do, though? Because you actually got to think about all the things that you do. Why am I doing it? You know, I'll say this. If gratitude, humility, and thankfulness for Christ's death on the cross don't consistently motivate your life, you will get burned out, hands down. If you are not motivated because of gratitude and humility and thankfulness, you will get burned out. We've got to get to that point. What's my question to you? Can you say it on the count of three? One, two, three. Am I? Are you? Or have you been cut off? Are you obeying the whole law? Is Christ of any value to you? Let's go on to our last point. The question I'm asking is standing firm. You know the command. You see the consequences. The last thing, you've got to ask yourself constantly. Verse 7. You are running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? 
You just got to ask yourself, am I running well? You know what? The image here is a running that really glorifies Jesus. A running that really brings joy to God. Maybe there was a time in your life when people would say, man, they were running well. And you know that word well? It actually is beautifully. Paul says, you were running beautifully. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? It's the kind of following that makes other people follow because it's just authentic and real. And maybe at some point in your life, your Christian running was beautiful. It was beautiful. But then at some point, you got derailed. Someone hindered you from obeying the truth. Maybe you yourself hindered yourself from obeying the truth. you got to ask yourself constantly, am I justified by faith? Pastor Dave gave this story, uh, shared the story with me uh, a while ago, and it's just a beautiful picture of running well and not being hindered. He was at a table. It's weird for me to tell you this story, but uh, he was at this table uh, with a bunch of other pastors. And they were all having dinner. And uh, someone from Harvest or someone that knew Pastor Dave came in and said, Hey, Dave. And they, they asked him something. And they walked away. And then uh, the other pa- I don't know if it was all the other pastors, maybe one other pastor, looked at him and said, Your congregation calls you Dave? And he shared with me that at that moment, he felt a twinge of just shame and uh, like embarrassment. But at that moment, he remembered that he is justified by faith. And he kept on running, not allowing anyone to hinder him from his relationship with Christ. Am I standing firm by asking myself constantly, do you realize how this serious this is? Look at verse 8. Am I, running firm? Am I standing firm by realizing how serious this is? This persuasion is from is not from him who calls you. Verse 9. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. No, when you cook, you only need a small amount of yeast to make bread rise. Now, I don't know if I just said that right, but I think I just learned that yesterday. But this principle Paul uses, just a little bit of that attitude that you can get right with God because of what you do, it can ruin your whole self. Maybe that is like lying in your toe right now. And, and, and you're walking around and, and you think, uh, yeah, I'm a pretty good person. That, that just spreads throughout and just ruins you. Maybe somewhere in your mind you thought, Man, I did my quiet time every day this week. Well, that little thing is just spreading around and leavening the whole lump. If you advocate this view, you can go completely astray. Let's go on to verse 10. Am I standing firm by realizing how serious this is? It says the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. And then could you go to verse 12? I wish they would emasculate themselves. Paul is saying, you know what? If you think you're right by doing your quiet times, then do a thousand of them every day all the time. If you think you're made right by being baptized, stay underwater. If you think you're right by not cursing, wash your mouth with soap. Good for you. If you think you're made right with God because you you uh, help the homeless, uh, 
Why don't you become homeless yourself and just stand around with them? It is so serious to Paul that he says it's a ludicrous idea. Do you realize how serious it is? You got to ask yourself constantly, am I obeying the truth? Am I realizing how serious this is? And lastly, am I standing firm by recognizing the offense of the cross? Go back to verse 11 and I'll end with this. Uh, Paul says uh, the offense of the cross has been removed. Are you standing firm by remembering the offense of the cross? You know what? I will tell you, and not because I said it, because it applies to me too, that this is what God, the Almighty God of heaven and earth says, is that, you know what? You are not righteous, and you can never be righteous in His eyes. You are not You know what the offense of the cross says? That cross up there, it says this. You should be up here dying. You're the one who sinned. You're the one who continues to sin. You're the one who sits here in harvest week after week, thinking you know everything, but acting every day like you don't. That's the offense of the cross because it says that to you and me. You should be here. You know what the cross says as it looks at us? It says, you are helpless to save yourself. Your good deeds will never be good enough. You can't feed enough hungry people. You can't clothe enough destitute people. You can't do enough quiet times. You are cannot do it. You are not better than others. This is what Charles Spurgeon said about the offense of the cross. The cross makes moral and immoral persons go to heaven by the same road. The cross makes rich and poor enter heaven by the same door. The cross makes the philosopher and peasant walk on the same highway of holiness. Therefore, the wise man says, What? Am I about to be saved by the same cross which saves a man who does not even know the alphabet? The very rich and sophisticated lady asks, Am I going to be saved in the same fashion as my servant girl? The gentleman says, as I, Am I going to be saved the same way as a common laborer? He who boasts of his self-righteousness cries, What? Am I to walk close to a prostitute to be side by side with a drunkard on the road to heaven? Then I will not go to heaven at all. Then you, sir, will be lost. There are not two roads to heaven. It's the same road for everyone who goes there. And therefore, the cross has always been offensive. We stand firm by remembering the offense of the cross and who we are before God. What's the question for today? Say it. Are you standing firm? Am I standing firm? You know the command. You see the consequences. And you've got to ask yourself constantly. We must be justified by faith. Stand firm against justifying yourself by works. We've got to do that day to day. Let's not forget to ourselves Uh, Let's not forget to ask ourselves, are we standing firm in the cross of Jesus Christ? Amen? Let's pray uh, together. Uh, Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, I stand here, and my brothers and sisters and I, uh, we stand here together. We are not justified by works, Lord. 
Lord, I pray, God, that uh, my brothers and sisters and I myself would remember your command, Lord. Lord, I pray that we would remember the consequences, Father, that Christ would be of no value to us, that we are obligated to obey the whole law. Lord, and help us to continually come to the cross and find the joy, the motivation, and the love to serve you and to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.